0: Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended into the heavens. He was leading a victory procession into the courts of God. And there, Jesus was enthroned as the true king of the world. Now, just before his ascension, the last thing Jesus said to his followers, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now these two things actually happen. Ten days after the ascension, the enthroned Jesus opens the treasure trove of his love and he brings forth a gem of inestimable value. In his bountiful rule, the King of Kings showers a priceless gift out of his infinite largesse on his subjects. He receives the Spirit from the Father and he pours out the Spirit on his disciples. This is the gift of a king to his subjects and what happens next well exactly what jesus said would happen next what did he say in acts chapter 1 verse 8 you will receive power from the holy spirit and then what witness you will be my witnesses his followers when this happens when the when the gift of the holy spirit is poured out on the followers it's like they're blown out of the room where they had gathered and they immediately begin to witness to one great fact, the fact that Jesus is the world's true king. And they do this, and Acts chapter 2 tells us, in three ways. Three ways they witness to the one great fact that Jesus is the world's one true king. First of all, when the followers of Jesus receive the powerful gift of the Holy Spirit, They immediately tell people that Jesus is the true king. They immediately tell the story. We heard Jesse read an abbreviated version of it. Uh, What Jesse read in the book of Acts, it says, and with many other words, right? This is part of it. It's the essence. It's the core of what Peter immediately did. He's filled with the Spirit, and he doesn't just experience some private ecstatic thing. What does he do? He's driven out to tell the story of Jesus that he is the one and only true king. Look at verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice. Very simple. He talked about it. And he addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. There's a saying that some people in church circles use, preach the gospel, use words as necessary. Now we can appreciate the sentiment behind that. It's just wrong. I mean, it's trying to get at an abuse of the church, but it's wrong. Words are always necessary. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses. What is the first thing Peter does? An act of mercy? An act of justice? Are those important? Absolutely. I've spent all of Easter preaching on them. What does he do? Listen to my voice, O people. Give ear to my words. Look, The sentiment behind that statement, preach the gospel, always use words as necessary, it's trying to get, it's trying to work against hypocrisy. And it's good as far as that goes, but it doesn't take you any farther than that. Jesus poured out his spirit on his followers and he told them that this monumental gift would give them power to be witnesses. And as soon as that occurs, as soon as the Holy Spirit descends on the church, they are blown out into the streets where they immediately start talking about Jesus. They start using words. Words are necessary. Now those of you who are here, those of you who are Christians, do you do this? Do you use your words? Do you tell people the story of Jesus? Do you tell people the people you work with? The people you teach? The people you work for? Your neighbors? Your family? Do you tell them that Jesus alone is the ruler of this world? Do you tell people that He is sitting on the throne? that there is no other king. You see, we are to be the people who speak words. We are to be people who speak in prayer to the Father about the mess of this world. And we are to be people who talk to this world about the sovereign rule of King Jesus. Second, as you read the book of Acts... You will see that the followers of Jesus, when they receive the Holy Spirit, they not only talk about the true king, the judge, the ruler of the world, they also live their lives according to the standards of that king. Look at the end of Acts chapter 2. Notice verse 42. And they devoted themselves, what does it say? Acts 2.42. What did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching. If you are a Christian, you are to be a witness not only of the truth of Jesus, but to the way of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. A Christian is someone who leaves one way of life, one set of living, and trades it in for another way of living. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in order to bring the behavior of their life into conformity with the ways of Jesus. Living obediently in a way of life that is visibly congruent with Jesus' way of life, his teachings. This is what it means to be a Christian. And the primary documents that tell us how Jesus lived, they tell us how Jesus lived so that we can know how to live. The Gospels, one of the main purposes of them is to be documents that teach us a way of being human for which we are to imitate. A vast majority of the teachings of the Gospels are in its indirect details, how he ate, who he ate with, how he treated people, how he talked to people. Not just the content of his sayings, but the way of his living. This is why the first Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now my question again for you is, are you doing this? Christians, are you living in faith and hope and love? Are you putting into practice the lifestyle of Jesus? Are you putting into practice the generous, self-giving love that constantly marks the days and nights of Jesus in the Gospels? Are you living out the Beatitudes? You don't have to have some PhD, blessed are the meek, so be meek. The meek will inherit the earth. Don't backstab at your job to get ahead. Believe that Jesus is on the throne. People might be getting ahead through unethical ways, unmeek ways, but you live by a different set of standards. Are you demonstrating a different way to be human? A way of charity and chastity. A way of patience and prudence. A way of joy. And justice. Are you conforming not only your beliefs to the truths of Christianity, are you conforming your behavior to the way of Christianity? When we do this, we are witnesses to Jesus as the true ruler of the world. And that his rule is not just cognitive. It is physical. It has to do with who you sleep with. It has to do with if you will be meek or not. It has to do with how you treat your spouse. When we, when we do this, when we live out the rule of Jesus in the concrete details of our life, we demonstrate a way of living that works, that is in line with the grain of the universe, a way of living that is actually living, that is life-giving, that is creative and cheerful and colorful and it bubbles up like the Spirit all over the place. So the conquering Jesus triumphantly ascended into the heavens where he is enthroned as the true ruler of the world. And 10 days later, like a king, he goes into his storeroom. He brings out riches untold, and showers them on his people. He pours out this gem of inestimable value, the gift of the Spirit. He pours it out on his followers, and it blows them out of the room where they have huddled, and they they immediately begin to witness in their words and in their deeds. And a third way, in the way they relate to one another, their community life. Were you struck when Jesse got to the end of Acts chapter 2? Do you ever tire of hearing this? And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. This is significant, that the witness of the church is words, it's deeds, and it is the way we live with one another. And if you're a consumer of church where you show up on Sunday, you can't be a part of this. If you're you're treating church like fast food, I'll have a bit of that. I'm in the mood it's convenient, I have a need, there's a dispenser. Yeah, you might can be a witness verbally and in your deeds, but you cannot in this way. Witnessing is a three-legged stool. Cut any one of them off and you're on the floor. It's word, it's deed, and it is our life together. It is how we relate to one another, living together with one another in the way of Jesus. If we keep reading in the book of Acts, we would see that it is in our struggles for holiness and unity. Struggles for unity. It's in our refusal to obey rulers when they tell us to disobey God. It is when we couple all of that together with our hard-fought Peacemaking and our health-giving lives, it's when all of that gets put together that we demonstrate that the gospel makes a new people. Community builders, joy-bringers, culture makers, homemakers, wisdom bringers. It is the whole life of the church. That is a setting in which we can speak with conviction about the rule of the crucified and resurrected and ascended king. Look, when you say to people, Jesus is Lord, and they say, what? That's crazy. How do you know? What the early church did was they just pointed to the church. It is our life together that gives plausibility to the outrageous claim that Jesus is Lord. When we witness to the great fact that Jesus is truly the ruler of the world, do you know how astonishing that sounds in a moment in time when we know of Darfur? Right? Do you know how astonishing it sounds that Jesus is the king, that he is the ruler of this world in the light of the tragedies that play out across our globe? When we witness to this ironic and hard-to-believe fact that Jesus is truly the ruler of the world, when we witness with our words and our deeds and our life together what Jesus said in Acts 1.8 is that the Holy Spirit will be powerful. The Spirit of God will use our verbal, our behavior, and our life together. That witness, he will use it powerfully. Look at the last sentence of Acts chapter 2. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I long for this for our city. There are many people in our community. And perhaps some in this room who have not repented of their sins and have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, may our church grow increasingly powerful as a witness for King Jesus in our words and our deeds and our life together. And as we do this, that's the end of the happy part of the sermon. As we do this, we have to pick up on a minor note in chapter 2 that becomes a major note in the rest of the book, and throughout the rest of the New Testament. Look at verse 12, the minor note. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. It is important for us to know that when we witness to Jesus as the true ruler of the world, our witness will lead us into unceasing spiritual warfare, and it is not fun. It is real. Because there's another king in this world that doesn't want a competitor. Read through the book of Acts and see what happens when the church witnesses. Not only is there joy, not only are there conversions, but they are pitched into a battle. And it starts as a minor note in chapter, in, in verse 13 of chapter 2. The very first witnesses are mocked. It's embarrassing to be mocked. When, you're, when your Christian witness leads people to make fun of you, it's, well, at least for me, it's embarrassing. There was a time when I was a teenager, I was a senior in high school, and I was trying my hardest to live for God and to witness for God in ways that were kind and relevant, and still at the end of the day, I could not avoid embarrassment. There are powerful voices in our community. Teenagers, there are cool people at your school, there are powerful people in our workplaces, who think what you believe is dumb. And whether it's words or attitudes, they will mock you for it. There are strong views in our community that do not line up with the truth or the way or the life of Jesus. Views about abortion and euthanasia, and cloning, and alternative sexualities, and the unfettered forward march of capitalism. I'm trying to offend both Republicans and Democrats. These are, there are all sorts of things on which the church must bear witness and be mocked for it. We must bear witness to the way of the world's true ruler, not the imposter. And as you read the Gospels in the book of Acts, you see that bearing witness involves raising your voice against sin. It involves raising your voice and fighting for true justice. And sometimes it puts you on the side of the powers that be. And sometimes it puts you against them. Sometimes it puts you in the cool club. Sometimes it makes you sexy. And sometimes it makes you a dork. Bearing witness involves bearing. It involves condemning the dark and shadowy ruler of this world. Who still operates. Through clubs and cliques and power structures and employers and employees and families and friends. And if you keep reading through the book of Acts, you will know our witness to Christ will it be embarrassing. But unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. It is downright dangerous. Just reading the New Testament. The point of Pentecost is that the gift of God's Spirit enables the disciples to announce to the whole world, symbolically in these 15 nations that form a ring around Jerusalem. That comes in verses 9 through 11, chapter 2. The outpouring of the Spirit enables the disciples to announce to the nations that God has raised Jesus from the dead, that he is Israel's Messiah, and therefore the world's true Lord. And this is not only embarrassing it is dangerous. In the first half of Acts, we see what happens when this announcement reach, meets the resistance of the Jewish authorities. Stephen dies. And in the second half of the book of Acts, we see what happens when this announcement, announcement reaches the resistance of the economic and social and cultural and the political force of Rome. What I'm saying is that the Spirit of God poured out on the church not only leads us to witness, but listen carefully, the Spirit of God poured out on the church will lead us through conflict and suffering. Do you know that verse? And this and filled with the Spirit, Jesus, led by the Spirit, was led into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. The Spirit led him into the teeth of the dragon. The Spirit blows the church out of the upper room into the streets, and very soon they are misunderstood, mocked, and murdered. That's the story, that's the literature. Again and again in Acts we find opposition and incredulity and scoffing and sneering at what the apostles say and do. And at the same time they have success and there's conviction. And again and again in the work of the church today, this day, there are always plenty of people who will declare to us that you, that you, that me, we are wasting our time. That we waste our money. That we talk incomprehensible nonsense. Teenagers, it doesn't get any easier. Just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 6, the first big conflict, one of the leaders of the church is killed, Stephen. Our message is not a comfortable message. But if we can at least recognize and we can learn to expect resistance, we, can, we should learn to expect mocking and conflict. Then at least we can put our shoulders back. take in a deep breath. You know the Greek word for breath is the same word for spirit. Taking a deep draw of the Holy Spirit. And get on with the task that Pentecost commits us to. <coughs> Last week, <coughs> I taught on the ascension how Jesus has been enthroned as the ruler of the world. But what we see in Acts is the way his reign is established as it rolls out of Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the way that Jesus' reign is established, that's what Acts is. It's the rolling out of the kingdom of God is anything but a smooth transition. It is anything but the triumphant procession of a conquering worldly monarch who obliterates the opposition. In fact, what we see if we keep reading Acts and the rest of the New Testament, listen close here, is that the method Jesus uses to extend his kingdom is the very method he used To establish his kingdom. Suffering. And death. As you read through the New Testament. The message is very consistent. Jesus is not only the truth. He is the way. And it is the way of the cross. Jesus is the Lord. But he is the crucified Jesus. Who is the Lord. Precisely. His crucifixion has won the victory over the other powers that think they are in charge of this world. What this means is that the followers of Jesus who are charged with implementing his victory in the world, they do it by the same method. They do it by the method of literal and figural martyrdom. And Jesus told us this. If any man would come after me, let him do what? Take up his cross and follow me. He didn't mean take up a piece of jewelry. He didn't mean put a fish bumper sticker on your car. He said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to follow not only my truth, but you're going to have to walk my way. And my way is a beeline for the cross. That is the way my kingdom will roll out across this world. Now stay with me here. What I'm saying is that a central and load-bearing element in what it means to be filled with the Spirit is that the Spirit will lead us to witness for Jesus and therefore to suffer for Jesus. And get this, our suffering is part of the means by which God's purposes are filled. This is all over the New Testament. Col- Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul puts it this way. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. What do you do with that? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter puts it this way. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. This is a huge teaching in the New Testament. And from the beginning, the church has embraced this and lived it out and found it to be a source of power. Listen, the church has found suffering to be a source not of confusion or bewilderment. Not why is this happening to me, but of power. And it's because we live in a triumphalistic culture that we Christians have been co-opted by this triumphalistic culture that suffering for us becomes a crisis of faith. That is new that is new that is not the way christians responded prior to the last several hundred years not it by and large suffering did not drive atheism you see when you face suffering without this load bearing element of the new testament it will sink you just one more this one from john from the book of revelation Chapter 12, verse 10. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. You see, it's not just that suffering and even death, is a dark path we tread because of the world's hostility toward Jesus and his method, message. That's not what I'm saying. Obviously, that's the case. Obviously, if you have a way of living that is different from the surrounding culture's way of living, it will lead to conflict. I'm not saying that. That's easy to wrap your mind around. I'm trying to point out to what Lewis would call a deeper magic. What we see... In the book of Acts, is that our suffering for the king and his kingdom, it somehow has the positive effect of carrying forward the redemptive effect of Jesus' own death, not by adding to it, but by sharing in it. We are the church of the incarnation. This is our birthright. Suffering is part of our mission. On every level, to do what God is calling us to do, we're going to have to suffer financially. We're going to have to give until it hurts. We're going to have to suffer socially. The the Christian perspective on sexuality doesn't stand a chance in our culture. The only thing to do is to own it And you will be shamed for it. But there's nothing else to do. We're going to suffer socially. Some of you are going to suffer in your jobs. Some of you are going to suffer in your families. This suffering is on every level. Until Christ returns, we are suffering kingdom bearers. We are suffering kingdom sharers. So as we go forth into God's world, bear witness that Jesus Christ is the true ruler of the world. Bear witness with your words and with your behavior and with our life together and stand still take a deep breath of the Spirit and expect that there will be conflict, that there will be suffering, and that that is actually the way in which we will extend the kingdom of God. Ironic, isn't it, that the person saying this is a middle-class white dude who has suffered remarkably little when you compare my life to the Christians of other places and times. But it is what it is. Have you ever suffered for Christ and his kingdom? I'm not saying suffering because you made a dumb mistake. I'm not saying the suffering that you brought on yourself because of your foolishness. That's called discipline. Think about this part of this, how this part of the story radically affects the way you can process your own pain. So often in our suffering, we think God has abandoned us. We think we need more faith. We think we need a magic formula of prayer or Bible study or tithing or whatever. That if we just had the right technique of living or luck or enough money or a God who listens, we could avoid suffering. But what I'm trying to crack the door on this morning is a strong theology of the Holy Spirit. It is the theology of the Spirit on page after page after page of the New Testament that is about joy and suffering. God gives the church the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and enables us to witness with power and to suffer victoriously. It was the Spirit who empowered Jesus to suffer well. And God gives you His Spirit so that you can suffer Well, the church of the incarnation, we have been rescued by the cross and the resurrection. We have been transformed by the spirit of God into kingdom bringers. And as we embrace the spirit of Jesus, as we embrace God's work in our life, we will be powerful witnesses in this place, in these few square miles. And as we do this, our suffering will be fundamental to the way we carry forward the redemptive effect of Jesus' own death, not by adding to it, but by sharing in it. What we do here this morning in our prayers and in our praises, as we hear Scripture read and taught when we come to the table and feast, we are comforted and strengthened by the same Spirit who will then send us out to bear witness and to suffer. And as we ourselves are judged and remade in the memory of our baptism into Christ and in sharing his body and his blood, we go out to live and to speak and to breathe and to pray his kingdom in this world where the nations are in tumult and they imagine a vain thing like it says in Psalm 2. But over all of this, is one who has been enthroned forever and ever, and he lives now, and he reigns now. We are the church, and we are sent by the Holy Spirit into the world to bear witness that Jesus alone rules. Let's pray.